This is episode number 107 with New York Times bestselling author, Flip Flippin'. everyone and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. On this show, I bring you people who have been hyper-focused on becoming the best version of themselves up to this point in their lives, have seen great success in doing so, and continue to work on themselves day in and day out. Today's guest is Flip Flippin. Flip is the founder and chairman of Flippin Group, one of the fastest growing educator training, corporate talent, and team development companies in North America. Flip and his wife, Susan, who is CEO, were named Ernst & Young Entrepreneurs of the Year, the only couple, couple to ever receive this prestigious award. Flip is the New York Times bestselling author of The Flip Side, Break Free of the Behaviors That Hold You Back, and he just came out with a new book that we talk a lot about that is on a similar pace called Your Third Story, Author the Life You Were Meant to Live. In this interview, Flip talks about the last time that his dad beat him unconscious. He talks about how we all tell ourselves lives every single day and how we can stop doing that He talks about what it was like raising 20 kids and so much more. I'm so stoked for y'all to dive into this one and make sure if you're not already subscribed to the show that you do so to get notifications when new episodes are released. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with New York Times bestselling author, Flip Flippin'. Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super stoked today. We got Flip flipping in the house. Uh, Flip, I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with me today. Hey, Nick. Thanks. It's great being here. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, we had some yeah. great conversation beforehand that I wish kind of we had mic'd up, but I know we're going to have just uh, even bigger and better things uh, to come. So uh, basically, you're in town from Texas, so I appreciate you spending the time um, with me today to hop on the show and give everybody some lessons, some knowledge, and, and increase their, their self-awareness, which is something that I know... Um, it's something that's been a big part of your life towards you be kind of getting to where you are today and is a big part of your message and a big part of your service that you that you provide for other people. So I want to just start off by acknowledging by acknowledging the work that you do and helping people kind of heighten their self-awareness yeah. and um, allow them to kind of break free of the stories that they tell themselves. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, what, basically, then the way I want to start is kind of go back to your childhood a little bit because I think that's a big part of why this is your message now and how that shaped you. So your dad beat you unconscious for the first time when you were eight years old and the last time when you were 21, your mom was never very supportive. Um, of you either and so I kind of want to start there and ask you kind of how you think that shaped you and when you began to to start breaking free of those kind of like limiting factors in your life. Well, first, I really appreciate you starting off with all the warm, fuzzy stuff. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, seriously, man. Let's talk about when you were brutalized as a child. Well, we got to know each other a little bit out there, so. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. You know, it's, I mean, my, my parents weren't, it's not that they were bad people. They just had their own issues. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, Nick, they were really, really good people. But they, they had their own struggles, and a lot of those struggles got played out in secret in our home. And as a professional family in a small town and everybody knew us and but they didn't know what went on in our home you know why and that's the case with a lot of a lot of families a lot of kids grow up in those kind of situations mm-hmm. so was there like ever a particular point where you kind of realized that like it's not them or it's not you it's them yeah um, and, and started to kind of like break free of that story a little bit yeah. or yeah there was that's, that's really a good question because I, I think everybody kind of has an epiphany at some point. And the question is, is do you listen to it? You mm-hmm. know, for me, I mean, I'd gone off to college and that sort of thing. I, really, I kind of ran away from home by going to college. I just didn't come home any. And uh, being at home was just, it was never a happy place for me at all. But I had, I had great friends, had a great support system. You know, I'm social. I get along with people well right. and that sort of thing. But... But you know, I, I was about a month before I got married, and I remember my dad blew up at me about something, and um, and and I, I remember I was like, "What did what did you say?" And that's what I said. And the next thing I know is I come to you on the floor, and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm I literally crawl into the bathroom, and it was a sad thing in a lot of ways because he he was he was in the bathroom too with his face in the sink washing his face. And I didn't realize till years later he was crying over what he had done. But I was sitting there looking at my face in the mirror, knowing I'm getting ready to get married. What's my face going to look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in the back of your mind, you're becoming, it's really dawning on you. This is not 
normal. Right. I mean, it's, this is not what people do. People don't live like this. Yeah. And so that was a that that was really a defining time for me, and I think for him too. I think it just hit a sobering reality that. This is this is not how I should be acting. So you were 21 years old when you got married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was 21. I was a baby, man. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the? I, I, I could just start actually there. I didn't think I was going to bring it up this early, but I know Susan, your wife, is obviously mm. a huge part of your life, being your wife and also the CEO of a flipping group. What do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned from her? Obviously, there's probably been a lot, but what do you think is the biggest <laughs> lesson that you learned from her since being married? Oh, man, Nick, you've got good questions. Uh, well, first off, let me tell you, any man that gets married, the one thing he needs to know is marry a forgiving woman. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the key. Yeah. No, she's, Susan's amazing. You know, she's CEO of our companies, mm-hmm. and we work together, and we have a, we have a great relationship, and I, I really, really love her. I mean, we've, we're just close, Nick. It's a, it's a great, great relationship. But one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, she is so gracious to people. And she grew up in a much more difficult situation than I did. And, um, you know, she and her sisters were kidnapped when they were young. And there's a horror story back there. But, you know, and she went in the foster care system and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, what happens is, you know, when you get in touch with who you are, and, and you really realize that I can do more with my life, that I don't have to be defined by those things. That's the joy of it. And that's really what you were mm-hmm. wanting to talk about, is you, you just stop and think, that does not define me, right. even if it's good. I mean, it doesn't define you. That's not your life. You're, the first part of your life, you didn't write. You know, we both lived ours, you lived yours. And you could have had, and I'm sure, had great parents and a great life and a good childhood. And man, I celebrate the heck out of that. But that early part, you didn't write that story. That's not your story. It's part of your life, but you didn't write it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the book really starts. Right. So how can you, how do we make people start being self-aware that, that it isn't their, like the initial story of their life isn't theirs that they wrote? Like how do we start making people aware of that? Yeah. yeah. Just to read the book? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, you know, it's, a, it's interesting because our lives progress, and, and, and you know I'm a shrink. I mean, I'm, I'm harmless. I'm totally harmless, believe me, you know. That's not why I'm here. Right. But, uh, but it's interesting because when we enter adolescence is when we begin that second story. We begin to write this story for ourselves, and it's so full of things that are not true. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see kids all the time. They're not smart enough, cute enough, pretty enough, tall enough. Fast enough. I mean, it's seventy thousand things, and but we begin to tell ourselves stories in that second story that aren't true, and we tell ourselves those stories to make us okay. You know, we 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 have to be all right because mm-hmm. if we're not all right, what what's left for us? There's nothing left for us then, and and so we all do it. And I could play with you and show you where yours were, and right. I know where mine were, mm-hmm. or I know where a bunch of them were. But the challenge, you know what the challenge is, is to, is to look at your life and say, just find one thing that you lie to yourself about. Right. Just one thing. Because it's like finding the end of a thread. Once you find it, it's like, hmm, I did lie to myself about that. I flat lied to myself. You know, I didn't play football. Right. Did you know that? Um, no, you didn't know that. No, you played baseball. But I played baseball. Yeah. And I was a really good baseball player. Right. You know. And uh, but I didn't play baseball in college, you know, mm-hmm. and because uh, I my grades were so bad, I couldn't get into college ahead of baseball team, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Except that's really not true. Did you know that? Yeah. The thing is true is that I'm really not good enough baseball player to play at a D1 level. Mm-hmm. Although I'm still available as a free agent if anybody's looking. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to make, uh, reach out hey, to contact. Hey, thanks, man. <laughs> so to catch people up a little bit, you know, we <clears throat> talked to briefly on the backstory and the first story about basically those aren't things that you have any control of. They're not your story. And then the second story, I think, is one of the things that I am most intrigued about because I think it is one of the things that holds so many people back. Um, So I want to ask for you personally, what do you think was one of the biggest things that you realized, like there's probably been a lot, but what is one of the biggest things that you realized through going through this process of like, what have I lied, lied to myself about? And then when you identified that thing, what did it allow for you to start doing from there? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. 
Um, so let's 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 get personal, okay? Okay. So you know, I had a um, I had a girlfriend in college. It was a really neat girl, okay. really, you know. And I really really liked her and could have married her, okay? Except I wasn't in love with her. And but I told myself. And this is a great relationship, mm -hmm. and I really, really like her, and we really get along well. And I told myself those things so that I'd just keep dating her because I didn't want conflict. I didn't like conflict, so I stayed in a relationship that wasn't near what it could have been. I, I could have married her. It would not have been good for her. Right. She would never have gotten from me what she really deserved. And I would have ended up at some point realizing, gosh, this, I'm just kidding myself, you know. And so that, that was one of the things that I looked at. It was pretty, and that was a pretty serious awareness. Yeah, right? 100%. What, how did you come to that realization? Well, I, you know, the hard thing is I had to talk to her about it. And, and that, for me, was hard because I don't like conflict. Now, can you imagine growing up like I did? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, conflict is terrifying to me. And, and so, you know, I was like, and of course, then I told myself, well, I don't want to hurt her. Well, that was a lie, too. You know, it wasn't that I didn't want to hurt her. I didn't want to hurt her. But the real reason yeah. was I didn't know how to handle that conflict. Mm. It would have been easier for me just to walk away and not call her again. And that would have been so unreal. And so I, I sat down and I talked with her about it. And, and I'll never forget. I mean, she's sitting there as sweet as she could be. And she said, you know, Flip, I, I feel much the same way. And I was like, oh, my gosh. We both have been telling ourselves a story, yeah. and it's a great story. All our friends liked it, our parents liked it, our, you know, it just, it just wasn't what it should have been. Yeah. yeah. To me, I feel like it sounds like we just need to start taking ownership of our thoughts. Like, I feel like what I keep going back to is you kind of deflect your own thoughts on being because of somebody else and not being because of your own feelings. So I'm not even really sure where, what, what kind of question I want to derive from this, but how can we start mm -hmm. taking ownership for realizing that the, our actions and our, our thoughts are because of the way that we're feeling, not because of the way somebody else is feeling? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing is that just take that one example, which is a simple one. I mean, I've got hundreds of them, really. Right. But, but I could say, well, you know, I was concerned about her feelings and that sort of thing. But the issue was I was lying to myself. That's really the thing. It's, it's one thing to lie to somebody else or to not be fully truthful or forthright. That, that's a bad enough thing. But I was lying to myself, though, Nick. I was telling myself that this is what I wanted it to be. You know, there were other things. I mean, like I, I wanted to do some different things in college, but I wouldn't let myself do them because I was afraid. And I was afraid I'd fail. I mean, I have a learning disability. I have this thing called dyscalculia. I can't, yeah. you know, it's terrible. I don't know my multiplication tables. And <laughs> Although I did have I a second that. grader recently tell me I know the fives. Yeah. <laughs> and then she pointed out the zeros. But, yeah. but, you know, so school is hard. And so you tell yourself a story. Well, you know, I couldn't do that. Or I'm not good at this. Well, how do you know if you're good at it? Mm -hmm. You've never done it. You've just dabbled at it. You don't know if you're good at that. Why would you tell yourself that? If I asked you, like we were just on the phone with Mozambique before we got on here, mm -hmm. Nick, have you been to Mozambique? You know what your answer should be? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet, because you don't know what's going to happen. You know. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, we tell our we tell our, do tell ourselves a lot of stories. Probably a lot of which are wrong, but a lot of which are probably a little bit right. You know, we have there are some things that we aren't as as good at or certain feelings that we have that are truthful. So how do we determine the validity between the two? Yeah. Like how do we determine yeah. whether something is truthful or not truthful right. and it is a lie? No, that's right. That's right. You know, like I could say I'm short and therefore I can't play baseball. Well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not short. I'm not short at all. You know, that part would be like I can't play basketball though because I'm horrible at it and you know, and I tried. And yeah. So you really have to stop and sort through, you know, what, I mean, what's the data showing you? What's the information showing you? What are your experiences showing you? I mean, what are you learning when you really honestly look at the world around you? Because you're getting lots of feedback. People just don't pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go a little bit into the third story um, because I feel like second story is a continual process where we always need to increase our self-awareness and determine the things that 
the lies that are holding us back and, sort of, and yeah. stuff like that. But once we kind of determine a couple things, the third story is where we start taking action on yeah. it a little bit yeah. and start trying to eradicate the, the falsehoods that we tell ourselves. So once we determine a lie that mm-hmm. we've been telling ourselves for a long time, mm-hmm. what's like maybe the first thing that we need to start doing in order to combat that lie? And not let us hold, not let it hold us back anymore. Okay. So can I play with you for a minute? Please. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. So you're supposed to be a commercial loan officer. You're supposed to be <laughs> in risk management. You are. I mean, that's what you went to school for. That's what you studied for. And you're supposed to do that. Right. And that script was written. And you had editing ability in it. Other people helped write it. But that's what you should be doing. You should be doing that. That's really what you should be doing. I mean, look at this. Look at what you're doing. I mean, you should be doing... A commercial loan officer's job, you know, mm-hmm. and we should on ourselves all the time, so much so that it never lets us get free. So something happened to you, Nick, and I'm not, I don't know exactly what it was, but something happened. And as when we were talking earlier, it's like, well, I'm not going to open Nashville. It's like, okay, uh, and now you have a decision point, okay, a window into your life opened in that point, and it's like, is that what I want to do? Very few people ever stop and ask that. You know, is this really what you want? And when you looked at your heart, it was like, you know what I really want is this. Well, Nick, you can't make a living mm-hmm. doing that. You can't support a family doing that. Nick, that's hard. Nick, there's 70,000 people doing that. Nick, that's, you can't, I mean, in this crazy podcast, I mean, you know how many people are doing podcasts? There are a million people doing podcasts. We're sitting in your bedroom, dude. Mm-hmm. What the heck is this, you know? And so what happens is you start saying, you know, I have this dream. I have this idea. I mean, let me give you an idea, Nick, okay? There's a 50-year-old you. You got it? Yeah. some point, he's going to look back and say, Nick, are we proud of what we did? Did you really take a risk? Did you really do it? Did you step out? Did you go for it? And, you know, I sit here much older, and I look at that, and I know there's a 50-year-old in there, and I want him to be proud of you. I want him to look at your heart and your life and say, Nick, man, did we have a great time? And I've lived that. I've lived that, Nick. And I know what that looks like, son. And it is amazing. And that's what I want for you. That's awesome. So you talked about how I had this vision point where I kind of realized, like, you know what? Maybe that isn't me. Maybe that isn't what I should be doing. How can we? and, And it was because, like, the Nashville part of that job fell through. Um, and then just, I guess, a couple of other things, just kind of like some self-talk things mm-hmm. that allowed that vision point to present itself. How do you think we can allow other people to have more of those vision points yeah. to have a little bit more maybe clarity of what they should be doing next, I guess? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I, you know, I stop and I stop and think, what do I want? What, and I'm going to talk about boats and cars and planes and trains. Okay. What do I want? You know, if you look at your marriage, for example, what do you want? Do you want an amazing marriage? Okay, that doesn't mean leave the one you've got. It means what's the work you need to do in your life to become that kind of spouse? You know, if you want to be an amazing parent, what do you have to do to do that? You want to own an amazing company, what do you have to do? You know, if, here's, here's what the neuroscience says, and it's really fascinating. If we say, don't eat the donut, 98% probability you're going to eat the donut. <laughs> Okay, but if we say, you know what, I just really want to be fit. I really want to have a healthy life. It actually triggers a different area in your brain than the one that says, don't eat the donut. Because when you say, don't eat the donut, the salient thought becomes the donut. And I guarantee Mm -hmm. you, don't eat the donut, don't eat the donut, don't eat the donut, don't eat the donut. Your thoughts all around the donut. So it can't be, I don't want this. You have to get in touch with, inside yourself, what do you really want? And I know, candidly, That's why you're sitting here right now. You looked and you said, you know what? What I really want, I really want to do this. And I want to try that. And that's where people need to go. It's not the stuff you want to get rid of. It's what do you want in your life? Mm -hmm. And, And I hope it's something healthy. If it's not, I mean, it's a different deal. But that's where you start. Yeah, I, I like that. And I've actually, I feel like I've said something like that before, but I haven't thought about it in a while it's so much more powerful to think about the positive, like the thing that you do want, and instead of thinking about the negative, because like you said, you just stay so focused on that. That's right. Um, so what has been maybe something in your life that you have kind of 
put a, a finger on of something that you wanted and that you made come to fruition because beforehand you visualized it, you said it, and you saw it. Hmm. Yeah, the Boys Ranch, that'd be the easiest, quickest thing. Yeah. You know, I was 26 years old and running this nonprofit that I'd started working with gang kids and high-risk kids. And, and I remember so many kids, they, couldn't, they could not make it in the environment that they were in. I'd already started a free nonprofit outpatient clinic, and, you know, we were hiring staff and all that. And I wrote down in my journal, and true story, Nick, I wrote down in my journal, 500 acres at the end of a road laid out in a square cross fence with creeks, streams, ponds, and houses. Wow. And I wrote that down, and I thought about that every day. I could see that so clear in my mind. And um, did I tell you that I can take you right now and show you 499.97 acres laid out in a square across fence with creeks, streams, ponds, and houses? Yeah. And it's covered in boys. And so, you know, when you, the, the clearer you can see what you want, and sometimes it comes simply because you see it with somebody else, you see what a, a great family can be like. You see what somebody who loves their work can be like or somebody who loves creating companies. Gosh, look at what that could be like, you know. And it's not, I hope it's not about money and those things because that's a whole different ballgame. I'm talking about things that inside fill your heart up, mm-hmm. that you are passionate about. I look at our children. That's another one, you yeah. know, is we wanted a lot of children. Not because we wanted a lot of children, but because we knew we could make a difference in a lot of children's lives. And so now we've helped raise 20 kids, and we've got a, a huge family. And That's awesome. you got to picture it, man. Yeah, no, I love it. Since you brought it up, uh, the you've 20, you raised 22 kids? 20. 20 kids. No, don't give me any extra. 20, 20 kids. <laughs> I don't know why I said 22. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how many of those are biological? Two. Two yeah. biological. Okay. Two. Okay. Yeah. So... We've got a huge family. We've yeah. got a son from Ghana, a Russian son, African-American sons, Ethiopian grandkids. The joke around town is we went and got some white kids for diversity. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we, it's a beautiful family. That is awesome. You know? So at what point did you realize that you wanted to have that many, or that you wanted to raise that many kids? I or? never wanted to ra- I mean, you'd have to be an idiot yeah. to want to raise 20 <laughs> kids. I mean, seriously. No, I didn't want to do that. So, I didn't want to do that. What happened is this kid showed up in my office Okay. that was homeless. I get this little 16-year-old girl that it's like, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And I know what's going to happen to her if she stays on the street. And I call my wife. I said, babe, I need to bring this kid home for a couple of days. And, you know, three years later, she snuggles up to me on the couch and says, I'm ready to move. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, hallelujah. I'm happy. Yeah. And she's done really well, became an attorney, has been very successful, et cetera. And, and it just was a natural process. We, You know, raising kids is actually easy for us. I don't know how to explain that, but mm. especially teenagers. John and Roger, our two youngest, we got them when they were six and 10, and they're beautiful young men. And, um, and the joke is Roger's been a, somewhat of a disappointment and because we thought he's gonna be a doctor and he became a dental surgeon. <laughs> but it's okay, he's working out. Yeah, so what, what's the age range of the Oh, it's 20? huge, it's oh, huge, sure. it's huge. The first girl I uh, it took home, uh, you know, and I don't want to use her name without her knowing I'm doing it, but mm-hmm. uh, I was 25 and she was just turning 16. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so it. That's it's, like a little, little sister almost more than yeah, anything else. Yeah. I mean, that, that literally is kind of what it was, yeah. you know. And, wow. But we just what, knew what we could you, make I, a difference. What gave, yeah. What gave you the courage to think like at, at 25 years old? you can adopt a 16-year-old. Yeah, well, we didn't legally adopt her. Okay. We just took custody of her. And, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that, Nick. You know, I wish it had been that, but it wasn't that I had the courage or whatever. Is that I knew what happened to this kid if she stayed on the streets. And, and <clears throat> you know, when we talked about it, that's so not an option. I mean, you know, if somebody knocks on your door, you know that if you don't open the door, they're gonna get killed. You know that's gonna happen. Would you open the door? Mm. And of course you'd open the door. Yeah. You know, and so I looked at her and then it's like, I know what's gonna happen to this kid if she stays on the streets for a week. She's gonna get raped, assaulted. I, you know, this is not a good deal. And we were dirt poor. We, we lived in a little tiny place, half the size of your place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she stayed on the couch for a good while and then we found a way to uh, get her a, a bed and make that work. and. And it, and it works, you know. 
Um, it worked. It worked really well for her. It changed her whole life, you know. Yeah. And it opened a door for us. It's been beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, good for you guys. That's that's yeah. super cool. Um, I want to jump back into a little bit of the book because I think that, as I as I mentioned before, and I think self awareness is one of the biggest principles in the book in terms of trying to in increase your self-awareness but there's also a big component of kind of shifting your mindset a little bit and i really mm -hmm. liked the uh the word reframing um different things that happen in your life and there was a really good quote that was in it but i'm not going to try to because i'm going to botch it um but uh i want you to talk a little bit about what reframing is yeah. and how we can start using that to our advantage because i do feel like it's a huge benefit to us in our mindset yeah, if we use it yeah well so let's let's just stop and think so here's a little saying for you if you want to reclaim it you reframe it mm. you got it yeah okay so let's pick the worst situation you could ever think of on the planet uh, a friend of mine's son just committed suicide okay true story mm. just a couple of months ago i was devastated when i heard it i of course was at the service and all that a few weeks later I sat down with him at lunch and I said, let's talk about it. And of course he's weeping. I mean, it's a terrible situation, a 19-year-old boy. And I said, well, you know, I just think about how much joy he's brought you all for so many years. Mm. I mean, do you know of any other family you would have wanted him to be born into? No. Would you have wanted to trade anything for that or would you, oh no, I would. I would even go through this to have my son. Mm. And we sat there in the most difficult thing I could ever possibly be in. And I watched that dad begin to reframe that in, at the end of our time together. And he's a good friend. You know, and he said, Flip, I'm so, so thankful because even the worst of all things, there's something. There's always something. You just have to look for that, you know, and find that thing. I mean, I, I look at mine and Susan's childhood, and, um, you know, I don't wish that on anybody, but I'm so thankful for that childhood in my life mm -hmm. because look at what it's done. Yeah. And, and you know how I say this in the book. You know, I wouldn't be here if I had not been there. Mm -hmm. And that's true for all of us. You just get to pick what here looks like. Mm, that's awesome. Um, I, think it's, I think it's crazy how similar, you know, similar in a sense your and your wife's background was and yeah. how you guys kind of both had similar struggles growing up and how you ended up meeting each other. I feel like for some reason that like had some kind of like destiny bigger, bigger picture. Um, and I do feel like you used the situation to the best of your advantage. You are so grateful for it because it is the work that you do now. Yeah. Um, so is there, but there is, has there ever been anything like maybe more recently outside of the example that you just gave more personal to you that you had a tough time reframing? Um, but ultimately you found a way and it like was a good, huge benefit or hu huge realization to you. Um, anything that come to mind that yeah. you had a tough time reframing? And Nick, you know, I'm going to tell you, and I'm not blowing any smoke on this, but you know, if there's a situation, I'm going to reframe it. Yeah. I'm going to find it. And I've been doing this for many, many years now. And you know, when you're starting out and you've got a bad situation you know like I had some of the grandkids we were fishing up in Alaska and, mm -hmm. and it was rainy the day was miserable everything you know and that night at dinner we were all sitting around and I said okay guys so let's go over good things for today and one of them said oh man it was miserable the weather was terrible it was raining the boat was rocking you know we didn't catch anything we got up before daybreak and then I'm like yeah I said okay let's look at the other side of that we're in Alaska we're on the water we got to see some really cool stuff. We went through a horrible storm. I mean, mm -hmm. it was amazing. What a story we've got to tell. And we were together. We had good fun. And I got to watch you guys throw up. I mean, <laughs> life's good. Right. You know, I mean, that you just learn. You learn how to do that. Because if you can't do that, Nick, I'm telling you something. You're stuck in a hopeless story. Mm -hmm. You cannot find your way out of that. You have to learn how to do that. Yeah. Life will eat you alive if it does, if you can't do it. And and it's funny, I think so many things in life are like this in the sense that they're a skill that needs practice. Yep. I think a lot of things like this, a lot of people think that it's just gonna come to them all of a sudden um, and they're not willing to put in the practice. Like to me, I'm, I feel like I'm relatively good at reframing because over a year ago now, every single morning, I write down on my whiteboard in the bottom right three things that I'm thankful for that are just completely random. And, yeah, I, love and it. I, love it. It, I realized it started benefiting me like after doing it a little bit, but I didn't really know why. I just 
yeah. felt like it was and feel happier. Yeah. But what I realized is because I was triggering my brain to start thinking gratitude, to start thinking what I'm thankful for, yeah. it reframed kind of my daily life. It's like if something went bad, I would kind of just, I had trained my brain to think of it in a different way. That's right. And to me, it's just kind of like a skill that you have to practice and you have to just stay with over and over again. I think like so many things are like that. Well, let me let me just blow that idea up even bigger. Please. Okay, so last night, I'm flying in. I got to be on, or I get to be on TV this morning. It was a joy. And so I'm flying in. I'm meeting with my team. My plane's running late. Then we can't get to the oh, terminal. Then I wait on the Uber. Then we get stuck in a traffic jam, and we're waiting, waiting, waiting. My team's waiting on me for dinner, and and the driver is like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. This is so bad. It's delaying you. I know you're in a hurry, etc." You know, that's the picture, and they're trying to serve me. You know, and I'm sitting here saying, "Well, think about this. I could be with a really bad driver. I could be having to walk." I could be in a spot where I couldn't afford an Uber. Mm -hmm. I, it could be that there is no Uber available. We're stuck in a wreck. If I'd been five minutes earlier, that could have been us up there. And we get up to the wreck, and it is a horrific wreck. I mean, I just hope nobody was killed, but it was a horrible wreck. Mm. And she turned to me and she said, you know, we're thankful for the things that didn't happen. And I was like, yes, ma'am, exactly. That's exactly right. So I'm glad to be with you. It's fine being late. My, I've eaten cold dinners before. This isn't going to kill me. Yeah. My team's there. I mean, Nick, you do practice that. And those three things you've got written up there, you do that for just not very long. I promise you do that 30, 45 days. And your whole perspective begins to change. Mm -hmm. And that has a huge neurological impact on you. I mean, people want to be around you. They are attracted to that. It gives you more energy. Your immune system goes up. I mean, it's huge. You know yeah. this. Yeah, and well, and uh, the whole this whole thing is kind of coming full circle to me in a sense because I feel like I'm so passionate about it because a lot of people call me such a positive person and they think like I'm a positive person and that's who I am and will always be and that they're not necessarily a positive person yeah that's right. but it's, it's almost like a story that they're telling themselves that yeah. i'm this way that they can't be that that's way right. but if they practice that that's skill right. that they can actually get there and it's right. just like the realization of that yeah you're you're i mean they're stuck in their own narrative mm -hmm. when they start saying well i'm not that way really seriously well god bless you pull your pants up and change mm -hmm. i mean don't talk to me about what you're not Let's talk about what you could be. Let's talk about what you want to be. You do, you have no idea what you can do with your life. Mm -hmm. God, it's just like, I don't know, it like frustrates me, but like fires me up so much. Yeah, it should. Because, oh man, I, I don't even know what question I want to ask next because I feel like so many people say these things and now I'm realizing the importance. I mean, like I, know, I knew the importance of the book, but now I'm realizing more and more the importance of the book because so many people say like, you're such this kind of a person yep. and they're thinking that they're not that kind of a person. That's right. So it's like- the It's the lie they tell themselves, Nick. And that's that to your point. That's what you have to challenge is that, what am I saying? Why am I saying that? Is that true? That's not true. So if, if you're with somebody, if I'm with somebody and they, and they say something like that, how can I start encouraging them to come to the realization that they're not this person and that they have the ability to develop into this other kind of person. <laughs> well, there's a deal in, in clinical practice that's called paradoxical interventions. And, and my deal is, is, it's like, so is this working for you? I mean, do you like this? You really want to be like this? Good Lord, man. Seems miserable to me, but are you really enjoying this? Uh-huh. You know, and, and literally just kind of poke on. It's just a balloon that they blew up with nothing but hot air. That's all it is. It's just a balloon that they blew up. And all you do is just kind of poke on it a little bit. And sooner or later, that thing will pop. Hmm. It'll go off and you'll start thinking, oh, hey, man, why? I mean, I don't have to be this way. I mean, I, I have a person right now that's a good friend that's horribly out of shape. And they said, well, I was just made this way. And I was like, really? Seriously? So you've always weighed 350. I mean, always. That's amazing. This is like, I got to write this down. Yeah. You know, well, no, I mean, not. I haven't always been. But, you know, I was like, I was like, what? Well, how much you weigh when you were born? Seven and a half pounds. Wow. So, I mean, walk me through this now. Yeah. What is the story you're telling yourself? And sure enough, you know, they come, the next time I saw them, literally, I, I dang near didn't recognize them. 
And I was like, what happened? And they said, well, you know, my doctor told me that I was dying. I was getting ready to have a heart attack. See, here's why people change. And let me get you this, Nick, because this is really important. People don't change until they have an emotionally compelling reason to change. You're not going to change because it's a good idea or somebody said you should or it's not working. You've got to have an emotionally compelling reason to change. Mm -hmm. I used to be wound up and intense and, and we worked together and I'd say things to Susan that were hard. <clears throat> and I looked at that one day and I mean literally her eyes were filled with tears and, and she's like, why would you why would you say something hard like that to me? You know I'm gonna do everything I have to do to make this work. And I just saw I was hurting her. It's like that is the last thing I want to do mm -hmm. to this person, this woman that I'm so in love with. And I had an emotionally compelling reason to learn to shut my mouth and to slow down and not be so wound up about getting everything done yesterday. You know, so that's why people change. Do you think there's a way for us to bring upon those emotionally compelling reasons without having to go through something like that? Like without having to go through, go to a psychotherapist or without having to go to a doctor telling them they're going to have a heart attack without having to have said something negative to your wife? Like how can we find a way to almost like auto-generate, self-generate <laughs> an emotionally compelling reason so that we can yeah. change? Yeah, yeah. So there is a way. There is a way to do that. But the thing that people have to know is that you've, you've got to find the emotionally compelling reason. Mm -hmm. And if you find it yourself, I have a friend of mine that her daughter's getting married. And uh, as soon as we find out that it's getting to be serious, next thing I know, she's going to the gym, working out, yeah. starting to look really good, you <laughs> yeah. know. I was loving on her the other day. She's precious to me. And, and I said, you're, you're looking so good and fit. Aren't you happy? And she's like, yeah, I really am. And I said, so what brought this on? Right. <laughs> you know, she wants to look good walking down that aisle. That's an emotionally compelling reason. Mm. You know, we've all got them. You just have to find it. And, it. and you can really do that just by looking at it. Why would I change this? When my son, when my oldest son was born, I mean, I, and it's a great story, but I, I literally that night, the night I took him home, we were dirt poor, Nick. I took him home. I took him in the backyard. I pulled his little shirt up. And I put my hand on his chest. And I can tell you what I said, because yesterday was his birthday. He's mm -hmm. much older now. And I've repeated this to him every year on his birthday. Mm -hmm. all of his life and that was I commit to you that I will change everything in my life that has to be changed so that you can fulfill the destiny that is in front of you and I had an emotionally compelling reason I wanted to be a great dad I didn't start saying well I'm not going to do this 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 it's not the knots and the don'ts and the wants and the stops it's what do you want and I wanted to be a great dad and you know what son I'm a great dad. <laughs> and That's we awesome. had a great relationship. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I loved that that part of the book and uh, and that quote and how you say it every year. I think I think saying it every year, the consistency of it always just keeps it fresh on top of your mind. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. it's so important to just continually practice that. Um, where did I want to go? I wanted to. Oh yeah, bring up some of the the story dragons um, oh, in the book. So. Basically, I'm going to have you describe what a story dragon is, and then I'm going to ask a couple, a couple of them that I think are, are very po All of them are popular story dragons, but a, a couple of them in particular and how we can start kind of slaying those, if you will. So, yeah. so break down what, real quickly what a story dragon is and yeah, yeah. pertaining to this book. Okay, so, so you know, I feel like we have these dragons. We're trying to write a story, you know, and, and I want you to be the hero in your story. Mm -hmm. But they're these dragons and they really don't want you writing that story. And they're trying to kill that story every day. And you know, one of them, for example, is just fear. Just fear of failing. And you know, like I, I got offered a great offer to go to Harvard and, you know, finish my doctorate there. And, mm -hmm. and that was a phenomenal experience, except I didn't do it. <laughs> you know? Right. And I told myself a story. And in the story, I already told you the real reasons. But see, I wouldn't tell somebody those reasons. I would tell them, well, it's too far away. I'm getting paid the same at A&M that they're offering me at Harvard. And, you know, I don't have the clothes for up north. And, you know, I wouldn't get to come home. My family wouldn't want me up there. My family didn't care where I lived. Mm -hmm. But I told myself those story. But the fear is the fear that I'd fail. And then people would say, well, you know, he went to Harvard and he didn't make it. And, well, I mean, I'm doing great at A&M. 
that's my story. Mm-hmm. So I was afraid. So that's one of those big dragons. Yeah. No, I like it. So a couple one, I, a couple I want to bring up because I just hear him said all the time is I think it was the first one in, in its busyness. And so break down a little bit about what that story dragon means, even though it's relatively self-explanatory, then how we can start slaying that one. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a, a young friend right now that he really needs to change jobs, and he really does. But he's too busy. He's too busy to look for another job. He's too busy to prepare for another job. He's too busy to make that happen. He, mm-hmm. He's got too many things going on that he can't do this. He's waiting until when? I feel yeah, like everybody's yeah, waiting yeah. until and I, I when said, things slow down. Somebody's going to pick up the phone and call you? I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, you've got to make that happen. And, mm-hmm. and so we, and, and a lot of us, I mean, I hear people all the time, oh, you know, I'm going to write a book. Great. When? What's your plan? Have you got an outline? Where's the proposal? Right. Could I see the outline? Well, you know, I, I mean, when I slow down, oh, sure. Okay. They're never going to write a book. Yeah. It's always, I feel like, and I, I do it to myself a decent amount, and I just got to realize that. Life isn't meant to, it's not going to slow down. It's not necessarily meant to slow down. You just got to like reprioritize in order to make that thing happen. And then the second one I want to bring up is um, over comparison because oh, I think yeah. now it's more prevalent than, than ever yeah. um, with social media and, and just how open everything is in this world. So break down over, over comparison a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one that, that uh, really uh, troubles me. I want you to think about every little girl in America. Mm. Every little girl. I know, it's scary. They go to the store, they're with their mom, and they're at the checkout line. And at eye level, with every little 8, 9, 10, 11 year old girl, every girl in our nation, at eye level, they're looking at all these magazines of all these women that are airbrushed, how to have a great abs, how to have a great rear end, you know, how to. I mean, you want to look this way, and if you don't look that way, and every one of them, no exceptions, go home and look in the mirror. Wow, not that. You know, and then I watch them when they're 12, 13, 14, and they're taking selfies, and they keep taking it until they can get the one right. that they think they can post, which means they didn't post a picture of them. They posted an airbrushed, if you will, yeah. a photoshopped, this is how I want to look. And so our ability to be authentic, our ability to really celebrate who we are, to love who we are, has become such a tragedy in this country. And we see it played out. I mean, our suicide rate is exploding in this nation. Mm -hmm. Two days ago, a young man that I know committed suicide. Last year, we had 22, just just by gun fatalities, we had 22,700 suicides in America. I mean, it, it is a national epidemic. And, and we end up doing it all the time. It's I'm not smart enough, cute enough, fast enough, tall enough, short enough, dumb enough, smart enough, whatever, you know. And, but if you just take and say, okay, what is one thing that I'm really good at that I like that I could affirm right there, yeah. you know. I mean, I, you know, school was so hard for me, and I look back at that, and I had people say things that they actually said the same things that I was saying to myself that were so horrible. Mm. You know, what, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get this? Why don't you learn this? Why don't you try? I mean, don't you care? Aren't you motivated? I mean, how can you continue to fail like this? And I'm sitting over here thinking, so the adults don't know what's wrong with me? And they're asking me what's wrong with me? I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I'm trying. I don't, I don't know, you know. And inside, I already felt stupid. And so now, you know, so we have to look at that. And so to me, what I'm always doing with kids is just tell me something. Just tell me something that you're good at. Yeah. Tell me something that you really like about yourself. What is that? Yeah, I think self-affirmation is huge in terms it, of this. It is, sure. and it's got to be real. Mm-hmm. You can't tell yourself a story. I mean, you see like a seriously overweight person running around in a midriff deal, and they, they don't have a picture of what they look like. So tell yourself what is real. Make it as true mm-hmm. as it can be. You know? Yeah, I think that's a really powerful part of it for sure. Okay, so I want to know, is, is there something right now in your life, so I'll, I'll back this up a little bit. I think that one of the things that's really important to becoming the best version of yourself is doing things that you know you should be doing, but that you're not doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot of us have those, I know I have those things on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, and I'm trying to minimize those things and realize like, why am I not doing them? So 
I want to ask for you, is there anything that maybe you're not doing right now that you think you could be doing that would make a big impact in either your life or your business? Nick, you got to think about that. Okay. So the things that I dream are, to me, big dreams. I want, I want all 60 million kids in America going through our leadership program. I want us to be able to train teachers all across India and China. I want us to be the largest teacher training company on the planet. I want us to be able to influence those who influence others, who give them hope to become more than they ever dreamed of. And I'm doing that. We are doing that. And are we doing it as fast as I want? No, but by golly, we are doing it fast. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting. And so here's the, here's the trick, you know, because I'm much later in life than you are, you know. So asking me, I should be living every one of those things out. But back up 20 years, because that's when I saw it. That's when I saw it. You sit and you say, what could I do with my life that would have the most impact? And I certainly saw it in my children, what I could do in my children and then what they could do in their lives. I look at you even in just the short time, and I see things in you right now that you don't have the ability to see right now. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, mm -hmm. but you, you don't know what I know. You don't sit where I sit. You don't have the experience I have. You've not sat with so many young people and looked into their lives and said, okay, I see that. Now, how do we help that become amazing? And so that's what it is. You begin it with a dream. You visualize yourself right now. I know you do. You visualize yourself right now. What can I do? What can I build? What could it look like? What could I create that's really an expression of me? And you're getting a really good picture of that. And the more clear that picture gets, the greater the likelihood you're going to pull that off with excellence. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, last couple questions. This first one. I'm going to start off asking you how old you are. So how old are you currently? Yeah, I'm old enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, basically. I got uh, a lot of runway left. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So the book is called Your, Thor Your Third Story, Author of the Life You Were Meant to Live. So I'm going to kind of use that phrasing a little bit. Yeah, good. In 10 years down the road, what, what do you want to author in your life? That, that has not yet been written. I want to keep teaching people how to do it. Okay. That's what I want. You know, we've got two more books we're working on right now. One is research on all the companies all over the world that we work with in our company. And so, you know, what, is, what are the defining attributes of highly successful people? And we've been doing research. We've got data from over 500,000 people globally. We have a massive database. Yeah. And so if you said, Flip, I want to be an entrepreneur, what does that look like? Well, I can actually show you in data what that really looks like. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to uh, turn that on into inside people and help them pull that off on our education stuff. I really want people to know how to get super good performance out of kids in a great way. You know, just by loving on them, just by encouraging them, just by reaching inside and turning them on. Mm -hmm. You know, and then when they take the test, it's like, ah, that's the test is nothing. That's just what happened because we did this process over here. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I'm up to. That's awesome, that's awesome. Well, before I ask the last question, I wanna acknowledge you, Flip, because I think that for you to be able to, you know, ever since childhood have the experiences that you've had and flip everything on its head, reframe everything <laughs> to where it's been of service to you and you can use those things, those knowledge, those experiences that you've gained and be able to use it in service of others. Because I think so many people say they're in service of others, but like for you, it's to like the epitome of, of being of service, like have, raising 20 kids, that's just absurd, like no way would I ever, <laughs> I guess I can't, I wouldn't never say never. Yeah, never say never. But uh, just the your constant service and like ever since you've been here, you've been kind of like asking me certain questions, digging into me about certain lies that I've maybe been telling myself so that I can not hold myself back of, yeah. of some things that I might be holding myself back from. So I really just acknowledge you for giving the gift of the things that you've learned to other people. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Nick. Of course, of course. So thanks. you guys have got to get this book, Your Third Story. I've read it twice already, um, and the second time through, I really realized how self-awareness is such a principle in here, and I've always known that self-awareness is one of the biggest things that we need to develop and be able to 
increase in order to get closer to the best version of yourselves. But to me, this book is one of the first things that I've been able to see that can help you become a little bit more self-aware. Because I've always, maybe like there's different things that you can read that increase self-awareness, different like epiphanies you can have. But this gives you specific tools and tactics that you can that you can start to implement into your own life to increase your self-awareness. And there's different mind, mindset things in here, like the reframing that are super powerful and you're gonna to wanna to read about. But tell everybody more about where they can get the book and where they can learn a little bit more about you on website or social media and everything like that. It's a good time. Good time. <laughs> Thank you, man. Of course, well, well, where, can people, where can people learn a little bit more about? Oh, it's easy. You can just go to yourthirdstorybook.com. Okay. You can okay. get it. Amazon's got it. That crazy thing hit number three uh, on Amazon the first day it was out. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it Congratulations. Crazy? I have no idea how that happens. You know, maybe you bought 50,000 copies. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I do have one more question. So the last question I always ask people is, um, I think the becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey. I think yeah. we're always chasing down that person. And I also think it's a very unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to become the best version of myself is going to be different from the way that you become the best version of yourself. So we've talked a little bit about kind of what you want to continue to do with your work and, and continue to do with your life. But I want to ask specific things. What are there, if there are three things that you could start doing or start working on now to get closer to that best version of yourself, that best flip flip and you could be, what are those three things that you could start doing or start working on? Uh, I, you know, probably the biggest one is that I would slow down some of my ideas and let my team, you know, we've got a super company, but let them really get structure around it. And sometimes that creativity and passion, uh, it just runs way ahead of what we can do okay. realistically. That's, and then one of them is, is that, um, you know, I get frustrated when things are not doing what I really want them to do, what I know we can do, you know, yeah. you can you can feel it even at times, and mm -hmm. and, I, and so I'm always controlling that, working on that because I really want to celebrate people instead of just thinking about what we could be doing. Yeah. I also want to have a great balance of celebrating what we are doing because it's really it's really amazing, and so the, those are those are the two biggest things. And then the other one is just loving all my family. Okay, okay, awesome. Well, three great things. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate Thanks. it, Flip. That was awesome. Good time, Nick. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Flip is such an amazing guy, a caring father and husband, and a charismatic business leader who wants the best for everyone that he works with. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you take a second to share it with a friend that you think would be inspired by it. Share it with someone that you think might be telling themselves some lies that are holding them back. You never know, this episode might just be the thing to set them free so that they can start making a difference in their own life. Remember to ask yourself what you want. Like, what do you really want? This is an ongoing process and it's allowed to change and you're allowed to pivot. But because only once you define some of those things that you really truly want, do you actually then know how to start taking action to make them come true. For now, it's time. Let's be intentional about the things that we want in life. Let's be honest with ourselves about who we are, who we aren't, why we are the way we are and so on, so that we can all continue to get closer and closer to your best you.